Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on? Not much. How are you doing tonight? Tonight? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, back, back here in America, it's, uh, it's still daytime, so you're doing wonderfully. Cool. Uh, I know it's about your bedtime you know, over in the Middle East there. That is true. I hope all's well. All is good. Tucked in, ready to record the podcast. Yeah. Well, I actually just got back. These traffic's terrible here, uh, but, you know, it's good. Got good Wi-Fi where I'm staying for the next few days, so that's always good. All right. Well, why don't you introduce uh, this week's guest? So this week, we have a very special guest on the podcast, a fellow poker podcaster himself, uh, Alex Weldon. Uh, hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Alex. Uh, so you could uh, find him tweeting on Twitter. Uh <laughs> One of my favorite follows. Uh, you could find his articles at Part Time Poker, which is also the name of his podcast. Uh, and we'll let Alex, you know, tell tell you all a little bit more about kind of what he does at the, the end of the episode. But uh, for now, he's going to join in on one of our discussions about a hand that uh, Jack played a, a week ago. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. So this is a hand I played about a week back. Uh, sort of a lesson in you know not profiling your opponents uh, too early or too eagerly. Uh, so I'm getting towards the end of a session, uh, probably about midnight, and I my table breaks, so I move to a new table, uh, and I see a young male uh, wearing headphones, probably 24, with a big stack. Uh, and so my first thought is that this guy's probably at least a pretty good po- <laughs> pretty good poker player. Uh, and so a couple hands later, um, the short stack at the table ships for like, or sorry, we're playing one three, uh, ships for about $65, uh, open ships. Uh, and then this player calls in the hijack, uh, everyone else folds and he ends up winning, uh, with queen three suited. So my notion of this player is a skilled player quickly went out the window and I replaced that image with maybe just someone who likes to gamble. Anyways, this, uh, this hunch was confirmed a couple more times. Uh, he ended up calling, uh, an all in raise and another larger all in re-raise with a gut shot. Uh, what he had no business being in, you know, pot odds wise, uh, one, uh, really, made an impression on the older gentleman holding a set of nines in his hand. He had an eight, six offsuit, by the way. So his, his pre-flop range is similarly, uh, optimistic. He ended up calling another all in, uh, with a gut shot against the tightest player at the table. And then I, I see change to be right on his left. And, and by the way, this is all taking place within probably a 10 hand, uh, length of time. So another kind of goofy thing happens. Uh, another young, younger player sits down with about $180. Uh, and on his second hand, he opens to 12, which is about standard for the table. Uh, our friend calls. And then on a nine high flop, the uh, new player ships for his remaining 160 or so. Uh, and our player calls with queen nine, turns a queen, uh, he's showed first, so we never saw what the other player had, but he left. Uh, so now I'm sitting with about 
300, uh, were five-handed. Two older gentlemen on my left who have both been playing very tight, although, uh, as I said, it's probably only been about 15 hands so far. Uh, and then sort of a... You know, we have the player I've been describing on my right, and the last player at the table is your sort of classic loose passive uh, low stakes player. Okay, so uh, before we kind of get more into the hand, Alex, what are what are you know based on the information Jack said? Like, what are you thinking about this this main villain in the hand based on this kind of short sample, but you know, revealing? Um. Well, I mean, it it. As he says, it doesn't sound like the guy is very good. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I know that uh, you know uh, that some of these young kids they like to sort of div- they like to put the table on tilt. So they they uh, he might not be quite as terrible as you think. But yeah, I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not going to assign the guy. I mean, it's tough to play on play those guys because I mean, you can't really you can't range the guy at all. I mean, he could be on anything at any any given moment, so you kind of have to just um, play your cards against that kind of player, but be willing to. Uh... See, it sounds like he's he's not, he in none of the examples he's is he the one who's jamming. He just seems to to call. So yeah, I'd be mm-hmm. cautious about calling this guy if he's being the aggressor. But uh, yeah, I would just take him to value town if i flop anything against him really yeah uh i definitely uh i agree that i think we should be cautious against aggression from this player since we haven't really seen that but i'm pretty much ready to dispel the notion that this guy has much of a strategy uh i think even players who are willing to sacrifice ev to put the table on tilt uh I think this guy has just made such terrible calls that I, I think he can't necessarily, you know, be trying to win, uh, or at least know how to win. Right. And also yeah, I agree. to win. Yeah. Also, you know, like I think calling with a gut shot in like a three-way pot without good pot odds—that's a very different type of mistake to me than you know, calling queen three suited for $60 at a one, three table, like open ship from a short stack. Like, I think that latter mistake is one that, you know, I, like Alex said, I'm not going to like call him down when he's the aggressor with like a very marginal hand without any more information. But I'm also gonna like be very confident that like this guy is not a winning player and, you know, he could have some type of post-flop poker intelligence, but it's definitely unlikely at this point. Uh, just based on the queen three suited call. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. So I think we all agree that this guy's a bad player. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. Okay. So I find myself in what I consider to be a pretty favorable situation. Uh, so we're sitting five handed. I'm under the gun. Uh, and I have king eight of clubs. So I think this is, you know, in a normal five-handed situation on the border between uh, an open and just a open fold. But I think, especially given the fact that the two players on my left 
are old and tight and are not likely to adjust well for playing shorthanded, uh, it's a pretty clear open. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I opened a 12, which has been standard uh, at the table. And the player immediately to my left, who's the newest player at the table, uh, an older man who hasn't yet put any money into the pot voluntarily and probably about eight hands, which isn't saying a whole lot, but, you know, for what it's worth. He calls uh, two folds, and then our friend calls. Okay. Uh, so our flop is ace, nine, eight, two clubs. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, we, we had, sorry, what, what do we have again? We have got king, eight of clubs, is that what you said? Right. So okay. we flopped... Uh, bottom pair in the Nuffless draw. Right. Okay, so our friend in the big blind opens for 12. Uh, and this, you know, this is the same line he took uh, with both the gut shots he ultimately called it off with. Right. And I see the player on my left gets out 12 calling chips. Mm. Uh so I, before I tell you what I ended up doing, let me turn it over to you guys and get your input. Alex, you want to? Okay, well, yeah. yeah, sure. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's going to affect my decision here. But uh, just is is one of the clubs the ace? Do we have the nut flush draw or the second nut flush draw? No, we have the nut flush draw. Okay, so, so the it's ace, ace of clubs, the ace. nine of clubs, eight of okay. something. Okay. I mean, I think I'm going to flat because I just uh, yeah, I don't think we have any fold equity to raise, and I don't think we're likely to have the best hand right now but um you know we've got tons of uh tons of outs and it's uh, i think we've got a great hand to be building a pot with uh three ways so yeah I'd, I'd call to uh keep the guy behind me in and uh yeah so i'm thinking definitely raising here because i think when this player leads out in the big blind uh like you said before you saw when he let out he had a gut shot in a previous hand and I think on an ace-high board like this, a player like you've described is just going to be a lot more weighted towards draws. And, you know, we have a pair, and we could potentially have a like a dominated flush draw situation. So I think I'm going to raise for value, but also uh, not just for value against the big blind, but to start to put pressure on the player behind us. Because I think when that player kind of instantly gets out 12, uh, you know, he's not likely to have a very good hand i.e. a hand that he can call a raise on the flop with a big bet on the turn unless he improves. So I think when he kind of takes out 12 calling chips, he has a range of, like, draws, you know, medium and weak aces, and then maybe some some nines. Uh, so I think I'm raising to try to isolate the player in the big blind uh, and get value from his range, which, based on what we know so far, is likely to be wide and have a lot of draws in it and start to put pressure on a range behind us, which I think is more weighted towards... Uh, kind of like medium strength uh, made hands that are ahead of us. Okay, but I mean, my experience now. I'm, I'm most of my experience is online rather than live, so that that does change things because people's tendencies are a bit different. But in my experience, players who like to chase draws when they don't have odds also overestimate the odds of draws hitting when when they assume that other people are drawing against them. So, I mean, I, I, based on this guy leading out, I don't think we can put him 
entirely or even mostly on draws. I think he will have an ace a lot of the time here. Because he does, you know, he's there's a there's a flush. He's got an ace. There's a flush draw out. He doesn't want people drawing their fresh flush for free against him. So, um, I suspect a lot of uh, bad players like this will will lead out there when they have top pair and on a on a wet board like this. Yeah, I'd have to do like some math and like you know make some more specific assumptions about his range. But like if if I if I assume like Jack in that previous hand he called like an early position raise with queen knight offsuit right and like a nine handed table. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. his completing range from the blind is going to be like, I don't know, probably between like 70 and 90% of hands. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he could have any two cards pre-flop. So, uh, so I think when you look at that, even though even if he plays all of his aces that, this way, he might still have enough draws where it's more draws than aces. Okay. Yeah, possibly. But... All right. Anyway, I, I mean, I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to. The, the player behind us, we don't have to worry about giving him a free card. Um, I don't think. Anyway, I don't know. I just, I, I, I feel like this is a hand that I'm. Uh, even against these guys, I'm willing to let it go before showdown if I don't improve. But I think I just have so much equity to improve and. Um, get a get the fish to stack off against me if i hit something or even the tight player if you know because you know guys who are tight in general i mean if they've got two pair or whatever they're never going to fold so yeah um you know i i I feel like keep both these guys in and hit my nut flush or hit trip eights and and someone's going to give me their stack Mm -hmm. i mean i i think both those are reasonable uh probably (laughs) More reasonable than what I ended up doing. Uh, I one thing I'll say is that I think I probably have the most fold equity uh, against the player behind me's range uh, on this street. I think if I don't raise now, uh, it's it's going to be difficult for me to turn my hand into a bluff on later streets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, and I do but, have a lot of equity. Uh, so I don't, so I'm not necessarily thinking that this is a hand I always need to turn into a bluff. Uh, I'm just never thinking of turning this hand into a bluff. I'm, but yeah, okay. Mm-hmm, but I mean, on later streets, definitely, uh, there will be plenty of runouts. Probably about, you know, most turn cards and half to all runouts. I'm gonna want. You know, to be bluffing with this hand if I, you know, still want to win. Well, but I don't uh, think we I, have to win I, this pot all the time. I mean, the upside is so high for us. If uh, when we hit, I yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about winning this pot every time. You know, I'm I'm I think we've got uh, we got eleven outs to an almost certain winner and another three to a probable winner. We're going to be hitting that a fair amount of the time, and when we do hit, we're going to get paid off huge by uh, by one or both players. So, you know, I'm not, you know, this isn't a this isn't a small ball hand for me by any means. I'm not trying to like pick up the the pot right now or on the turn. I'm you know looking to looking to get something I'm willing to play for stacks with. Hmm. Yeah. No. Of course. Uh, I do think I still like raising here. Uh, because one, I think it's going to be easier to play for stacks uh, if we raise. 
Yeah, how, how much do we have? I, I, I assume that the fish has us covered. But the fish w- has us. We have about we have three hundred. So at this okay, point, yeah. we have like uh, two eighty eight behind. Right. Uh, and the bet is twelve. So yeah. twelve and a thirty six. You know, if we call, we're going to be seeing a turn with seventy two. So you know, it's it's not unreasonable to think that we're going to be able to get our stack in uh, if our hand hits. Well, especially, I, I this guy is, especially given that we've seen this guy call ridiculous overbets, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll say is I generally don't trust uh, sort of recreational low stakes players to make uh, large enough bets uh, to set up, you know, good sizings for us to get our stack in. So, you know, normally, you know, we won't get to a point where, you know, he's betting or he's putting us all in on the river uh, when we have our value hands, uh, which oh, but is okay. we don't. But yeah, but I mean, this guy has, you know, this guy seems impervious to bet sizings. So, I mean, you can, I, I'm not sure we need to worry about that. Like, I think if we hit trip eights or something, like maybe with the flush, you know, because I mean, because fish are scared of flushes. But even so, I mean, I, I yeah. I, I don't think we need to, to concentrate that much on, on uh, what our what our eventual shove sizing is going to be because I think yeah you can just you know whatever the pot is and whatever the stack is you can you can ship it on this guy and if he likes his hand he's going to call regardless of what the odds are he's not thinking about the odds yeah well speaking of him being impervious to bet size <laughs> uh, did you like shove here or something I did shove here yeah. So, in uh, in my defense, <laughs> because I, I don't, I, I I've been thinking about this hand a lot, and I go back and forth on whether I like it or not. Obviously, the problem with shoving is that you know I make it very easy for these guys to play very well against me. Yeah. Uh, but I I I I didn't think they would, and I still don't think they will. Uh. What I liked about showing this spot is one, it's for metagame reasons. It's literally a hand after someone also made an, a massive overbet you know, on the flop, and it worked out for our guy on the right. Uh, I think it's likely the way I can put uh, maximum pressure on the guy on my left's range, and uh, you know, against the player on my right's calling rage i think i'm doing extremely well you know i'm a slight favorite against an ace and i think he's going to be calling with a lot of draws if he does decide to call and against draws i'm obviously doing fantastically uh this this might have been too optimistic um i i just think yeah i mean i i like the concept behind it but i i think it would this would work better over two streets you know like, even let, let's say you make it like a reasonable raise size on the flop. Like, so you make it like in the forties. Um, I think then like, you know, overbetting the turn or making it like fifty or sixty on the flop, and then you know making a little over a pot size bet on the turn is going to get a lot more calls from the draws, which is what you're really trying to value target here. Like, obviously you're going to be a slight favorite against weaker aces, but I think that um, you're letting a lot of his draws off the hook. Again, this is the type of player who, like, if there's a type of player who might, like, just call, 
with you know a seven high flush draw or something, this could be the player. Uh, but I think just with the information we have, it's a lot more likely to get him to call with a draw over two streets, especially because we have the information that he called a gut shot on the turn without getting the proper odds. So I just think it's more of a sure thing to get value from the draws while still having the benefit of putting pressure on like the likely made hand of the guy behind us. Right. And moreover, I mean, if let's say he does have an ace, um, yeah, you are a slight favorite, but um, you will have a you will have a much better idea where you're at on the turn. Like your equity will either improve or or get worse on on most turns. Um, so, you know, like why would you put, um, you know, why why would you make your decision about whether to put money in the pot or not? Like, g- given that this guy is going to call you on later streets, if he's going to call you now, he's going to call you on the turn too. Um, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of situations where um, if you're drawing and you have a choice between whether you, like, you're pretty sure you can get the money in one street or the next, you should often uh, you should often wait and 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 see whether you've hit before you before you put the money in. Assuming like if, in situations where you don't think you have a lot of fold equity, and here you don't have a lot of fold equity, so even though you've got the you know you'd have the right odds to call if he shoved, but I don't think we should be in it, like in a rush to shove ourselves here. I I, I would rather um, you know we're, we're we're the better player, and so we, we will. As more cards come out, we have more information. We will be able to make better use of that information than our poor opponents. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with almost all that. Although I do think that we have uh, some valuable fold equity in this spot, uh, especially against the uh, player who had pulled out his calling chips. Um, right, but I, I'm not sure we want him to fold. Right, because he's just. Um, I mean, yeah, like if we're, if we're assuming that the first villain is almost always on a draw that does not beat our pair of eights, like if, if we're assuming a pair of eights is good against him and not against the other guy, I could see wanting to make the other guy fold. But yeah, I just, my, my feeling about this hand is I, you, there's just so much, so much upside when you do hit the flush against these two guys that I'm not feeling the great need to play my eight for showdown value, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, 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 I'm happy, uh, calling two streets and then folding the river. If I haven't improved just because those times that I do improve, I'm, almost certainly going to get someone's stack, possibly both of theirs. Yeah. Uh, what, first, let me just... Uh, this, is, this is sort of outside the realm of strategy. But I was at a point in the session where uh, yeah, I was <laughs> definitely willing to take a, a higher variance line. Uh, Love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I do agree that I think it makes a lot of sense uh, in a situation that's, I think if it was a slightly, you know, more knowable situation, like if I, uh, if I know the guy on my left is folding his entire uh, range to the ship, uh, 
you know, and that the player on my right is going to call me uh, withdraws on this flop at least some percentage of the time, then I like the ship more. But I, I agree that I think that with our hand, keeping people in the pot is going to be to our advantage. Um, but one thing I would disagree with is that I think when our hand hits, we're not going to get paid off uh, as often as we might think, given these players' behaviors. One reason being that you know if we hit on the river, uh, I think a lot of the value from you know both. I mean, both these players have draws in their range, uh, and a lot of the value we would get from raising uh, and getting money from draws here on the flop, uh, we won't be able to get you know when we make our hand. Uh, and I also think that a lot of uh, this player on our left's ra- calling range, when we call behind to keep him in the pot, uh, I don't think that if we turn around and all of a sudden start betting aggressively, we're going to get stacks in that often unless he somehow improves his hand, which is not unlikely. Uh, that being said, I, I still don't think that calling is necessarily a, a mistake or not the highest EV play. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the guy on our... The guy on our right is also going to do a lot of our betting for us, I think. If he's donking the flop, I think he's going to continue to bet the turn and, and so forth. So we can just yeah. – we can under whether or not we hit, I mean we can under-rep our hand and just call him and then, and keep the, uh, keep the third guy in. Um, and even if that means stacks don't entirely go in on the river, that's fine. But I also think that, yeah, like uh, the, the fish on our right may uh, – you know, even if it's an overbet based on the fact that, yeah, he seems to be happy with that. I mean, he, I could, I could see him shoving the river with all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, yeah, to, to, to take a passive approach to this hand and yeah, let the fish do the betting for me. I'll take the lead at any point if he stops, but. Okay. Anyway, so let's, let's go to the next street though. So, Oh, oh well, that's <laughs> because you shoved. <laughs> The, the results were very in line uh, with the rest of my session. The player on my left called, thought about it for a long time and called. Uh, the player on the right folded, uh, and I lost to 9-8. Yeah. So uh, I think that that might be something that I didn't consider enough, uh, that you know, with all my experience playing live, really I really should have considered is how passively... People play in the fact that this guy was, you know, pulling out calling chips uh, with two pair in this spot, especially against this player, uh, shouldn't have been as surprising to me as it was. Yeah, yeah. You just figured that he's like always got some bad ace, right? Is that not necessarily a bad ace? I definitely think like I, three betting is really uncommon in, in these games from these player types. So I think he has many aces in his range. He has ace-king, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he has ace-king. And I, I actually, honestly, given the way how long he tanked before making this decision, uh, I would not be surprised if he folds an ace in this spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, not, I mean, 9-8, uh, I think one is, uh, you know, maybe the top of his calling range. Maybe he also calls ace-9. Uh I do think he three bets aces pre flop. Uh, anyways, so yeah, it it did not run out very well for me, uh, and I 
you know, probably left a lot of Sclancy bucks on the table, <laughs> uh, you know, with my choice of line. Yeah. But I thought it was, I thought it was fun for sure. <laughs> it, it was a really fun table. Yeah. I, I also think that like, you know, e- even though I think the, the highest EV line here is to, you know, raise big on the flop and to either bet big or shove on the turn to maximize value from like the draws. I think you also have to run like, you know, fairly bad for like this exact outcome to happen, you know, where the guy behind you has like top of his range value hand and guy to the right, you know, folds whatever hand he has. Um, I also think that like, given the fact that he, you know, tanks along with like nine, eight and it was probably nine, eight suited, right? I actually can't remember. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, the point being is that like he has very few, you know, two pair plus combos here compared to the rest of his range. And I also think that, you know, while some people do it as like a fake tail, when someone takes out calling chips quickly, I think without any information, more often than not, it's not like someone slow playing a value hand, you know? Yeah. No, I just to be just based on like this guy's demeanor, uh, I don't think that he was pulling out calling chips as like a decoy. Oh. Uh, he just was kind of casually pulling them out. I don't think he even realized that I saw. Oh, wow. That makes it even worse, because you probably wouldn't have even done that with, like, a set. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, we didn't reach consensus, but I think we had a good discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I mean, it's... Uh, the, the, the shove is kind of shocking to me, but, I mean, I think this is probably, like, my, uh, my tournament experience versus cash game. Like, I, that's not something that you would do in this situation in a tournament, I don't think. But. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. luckily, yeah, we don't. Geez, I'm blanking on. ICM, right? She's yeah, yeah. We're not tournament players. Oh, so it's not. It's not. It's yeah. not even ICM, but just uh, yeah. I mean, you're. There's different considerations. I mean, people play differently, and um, in a cash game, you can always reload. So you're not you're not giving up future opportunities by uh, by taking a high variance line now. Whereas in, uh, you know, like in in, in a tournament, I'm not. Uh, I'm not super delighted getting all the chips in uh, against like when there's this bad at when there's such a bad player at the table, like you're eventually going to get an opportunity to get it in as like an 80, 20 favorite against him. Um, but if you go bust on like a 55, 45 spot, you've lost that opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm like right. happy to take, I'm happy to take a 55% spot in a tournament when I'm at a strong table where, uh, there isn't that much value in me con- continuing to sit there with my current stack, um, but if there's a guy that's gonna that's gonna donate his stack sooner or later, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'd probably uh, I'd probably take a lower variance line in this hand because you know any if I don't hit my draw, any chips that you know if I end up folding the river, any chips that I end up giving to him are gonna come back. Well, some I mean they could go to someone else at the table, but they're you know they're not gonna stay in his stack one way or another. So. Um. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'd rather. I'd rather wait until I until I know I'm ahead of him and then get a, get a stack at that point rather than uh, rather than than. Yeah. I. I guess. I'm not. I'm oh, yeah. usually not. I'm usually not a fan of the 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 logic of waiting for a better spot in a tournament. I mean, I think a lot of people uh, decline too many plus CV spots, but when you've got a truly terrible player at your table or, or multiple terrible players at your table, then I think, yeah, there is, you, 
you know, you, you don't want to waste that lucky table draw, you know, getting into a coin flip that you could have had at any table. You, you, you know, you want, you want to, you know, get it in as a monster favorite when you've got those people who will let you do that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, which I think it's not, in a cash game, it's kind of the opposite, right? Because like, if yeah, you, dollars let's say dollar. you do, let's, let's, well, no, but, no, but not only that, but if you, um, uh, any, you know, if he does win, uh, that's just more chips at the table that you can then win back later. Yeah. Um, whereas in a tournament, if you've lost your chips to him, then you're out of the tournament and all those chips are going to go to someone else, not back to you. It's really interesting how people in cash games play with big stacks and there, there's kind of like two different ways and, Unfortunately, the form is probably a little more prominent, but like if someone is playing like fairly loose with maybe like in a hundred to one hundred fifty big blind stack, and they suddenly get like a three hundred or four hundred big blind stack, you know, a lot of times they're kind of like lock it down because they don't want to lose it. But, oh, okay. yeah. but but also like a, a non insignificant amount of the time, and it really just depends on the player. They'll start even playing looser, and they'll start calling with draws, and you know, playing the rush, you know, playing yeah. because they're mm-hmm. winning right then. Uh, and we also, I'm actually, I'm really thinking more about 2-5. I think people lock it up a lot more at 2-5 because, you know, the vast majority of people are not bankrolled for 2-5 who are playing 2-5, whether they're, you know, professionals or non-professionals or anything in between. Uh, and it's likely, you know, if they're sitting in front of, you know, 2K plus at 2-5, this hasn't happened for a very long time or ever. So, you know, it makes more sense to lock it up. But thinking about it more, yeah, 1-3, people have a big stack, they typically don't lock it up as much. I don't know. If that fits with your experience, Jack. Uh, that does fit with my experience, and you know, that observation was certainly uh, validated at this specific table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like this guy is uh, likely to lock up a stack at any point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so, uh, you know, like you said, Jack, we didn't reach consensus, but we had a, a good strategy discussion, and, you know, the goal of our show is just just that, uh, not to necessarily always reach consensus. And, uh, you know, Alex, what's the goal of your of your poker podcast? Oh, well, the, I, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of things. You'd probably get a slightly different answer if you asked Andrew. Um, Andrew has a, you know, a certain set of topics that he that are that are very important to him uh for me it's largely to uh to promote the site and my content and uh to a lesser extent that of that of other writers for the site so we usually um we usually discuss articles that i've written in the past few weeks uh we do uh for the benefit of our listeners we do a sort of strategy segment we do that at the end to um as an incentive to keep people around and you know listen to the the news discussion um but yeah, it's a it, it's it came about mostly as an experiment for us. Uh, we're just gonna see what uh, um, you know how, how it pans out. What people like to listen to. We try different things. Um, sometimes we have guests. Sometimes we don't. Uh, so that, that that's where we're at now. We kind of uh, fell into a slump over the summer because Andrew was at the World Series, so uh, he wasn't available to record podcast. But I'm going to be recording with him tomorrow. Yeah, well, for for anyone listening, uh, I've listened to every one of their podcast episodes, including the newest one, and I highly recommend it. If you're looking for more poker audio content, look no further. Yeah, www.parttimepoker.com slash podcast. Okay, yeah, so my, my, my handle on Twitter is at Benefactum Games, B-E-N-E-F-A-C-T-U-M Games. Awesome. 
yeah, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me yeah. on. It's been been a pleasure. All right, awesome. Uh, All right, and uh, glad okay. to hear you're, you're enjoying my podcast. So, uh, and talk to you soon. Hey guys, Jack here. Not a whole lot new to report, uh, but as always, I mean, I'm sure you guys are probably content listening to all of my mistakes, but if you have any hands you'd like to send us, you can always head to our website, justhandspoker.com, and there's a form there where you can submit a hand history, and we will either feature it on the show or get back to you uh, over email. Also, uh, last week's episode was late, and uh, we are still planning on doing a bonus episode to make up for that. We were not able to pull together this week, uh, but expect that this weekend. All right. Uh, We will see you guys soon. Take care.